like to welcome back all my Tales of Glory listeners, my two listeners and my my two dogs now, right? I think we actually have three or four listeners now. We're getting some input. We're getting some momentum here. We got three or four listeners. Hey, I'd like to welcome you guys back. And if you guys are new to this, I am the Reverend Michael Norton. I am with M16 Ministries. I'm a spiritual warfare minister. And I'd like to welcome you guys here. Kind of a special treat tonight. We're back to a fireside chat. These are usually sideline conversations I have with you guys, just with the Tales of Glory listeners out here every once in a while. What we're going to do is um, I have been requested to put together a class, and I'm kind of going to use you guys as guinea pigs tonight, all right? <laughs> here we go, to see if um, I got all the information I, I needed perspectively in this class and what I want to do. There's actually going to be four sections of this class, so I'm going to sideline the advanced field guide to spiritual warfare topic I've been doing. I'm going to sideline St. Teresa of Avila's interior castle just, just for this month because I have to get this material out. The momentum's going and it's it's got to be presented in January. So what I'm going to do is, like I said, I'm going to use you guys for a little test lab rat. Sorry to iron out stuff, give me feedback on what makes sense and what does, what does and does not make sense in this. So tonight for the fireside chat, it's a beginning course for seminary students in spiritual warfare. And in section one, or we'll call it module one of the class, you guys are going to get the, get the firsthand treatment here. I'm going to review the, the deity of Jesus Christ as the creator of, the, of us and the spiritual realm. I start with this topic mainly because if you're going to spiritual warfare, you must understand in your heart who Jesus Christ is. It must be in your DNA who he is, that he is creator. There is none greater. All things are created for him, by him. Kind of like when we had the last fireside chat, remember we had this thing about was ghost hunting a sin? And one of the things that that minister brought up was he was using ghost hunting to prove that the afterlife was real. And that's the wrong place to be in in spiritual warfare. If you're in spiritual warfare, you don't need any of that garbage because you have an indwelling Jesus Christ whom you have a relationship with. And you understand the reality of who he is as a creator. Every blade of grass you see when you walk outside was created by Jesus. Every spiritual being, every spiritual thing going on in the Bible was created by Jesus. You know, the fallen angels that rebelled against him, that he gave them free will, he created them. He could Thanos snap them guys out of existence, right? This isn't a battle of yin and yang. You must understand who Jesus Christ is. And so I'm going to do this first module one on the divinity of Jesus Christ as a creator and also cover some new fascinating topics that's been in the Bible forever. We're just discovering stuff here is the Council of Divine Beings that's been put out by Dr. Michael Heiser. So let's hit the first slide. Jesus Christ is the creator of creation. In order to expel demons and engage the occult, a minister must know Jesus Christ, have a deep prayer life, and understand the totality of who Jesus is as Lord and Savior and the Creator. A minister must have the certitude of Jesus Christ as a creator. Remember we talked about this in um, St. Teresa of Avila, where you have the certitude of mystical experiences. This is another one. You must have the certitude inside you, in your interior life, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and he is real. 
So you have a spiritual interior life where there is no question of the promise of your you know, eternal life with him when we depart from this earth, earthly exile. There's no question. So every time I go into battle or deal with this stuff or present material to you guys, in my heart, I know exactly where I'm going when I die. I have a certitude because I know Jesus is real and I have a relationship with him. And we have dialogue and we talk back and forth through mental prayer. Okay. So we'll go to John 1. John 1 is kind of interesting, right? It's just, I remember when I was in the, the, the pews of the frozen chosen, I was kind of struggling with this. You know, why, why would they say in the beginning, we already had Genesis, right? What was John doing? John was parabolically connecting us back to Genesis 1. And he was giving us more details that we didn't have in Genesis 1. So John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So that's, I'm reading everything out of the um, ESV version of the Bible. So let's go back and unpack this. So verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. What's John saying here? In the beginning how can you have in the beginning was what he's establishing is Jesus was already in existence during our beginning, right? He was already in existence. He's God. And the word was with God, right? It's, it's in past tense predating time. Understand this is, it's kind of a cool thing to unpack. Everything was in existence before time. And the word was God. Jesus is God. Right there, right? He was in the beginning with God. Who? He? Jesus. Verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It sounds like First Colossians 16, right? Everything was made for him by him. Who? Jesus. Jesus was a creator. John's establishing this right, in the, right out of the, the, the box here, right? That's why it's not a synoptic um, gospel like uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because John's taking us way back. He's taking us way back before everything ever happened, before angels were created, everything, before the spiritual realms were created, or whatever it was, or however that happened. We don't know. It pre, pre exists um, time and our understanding of it. There was Jesus, there was the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In him was life, the Greek word zoe, right? Creation, both physical and spiritual. And the life, again, salvation, was the light of revelation of men, right? So the light brought revelation to men of who Jesus Christ is. The light, who? Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. From my understand from my um, other minor seminary training here, the Greek word was tackled it. The darkness has not tackled it. The darkness has not overcome it. What does this tell us in spiritual warfare? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot tackle it. It can't bring it down. Darkness cannot bring down Jesus, no matter how many masses of armies of you know demonic angels or satanic angels that come against him. God can just, you know, it's not a yin and yang battle. <laughs> Going back to the Avengers reference, right? Thanos. Jesus can Thanos snap these guys out of existence. That's how that's how powerful God is. But the others can't do that. They can't. They don't have the power. They're not 
omnipotent and all-powerful like Jesus Christ is. And that's who we need to think of when we go to Jesus Christ, right? He is the creator, creator of everything, creator of spiritual beings. Um, in the beginning, right, there was darkness. Back in Genesis, Jesus was the creator. He was there. We must focus on and tackle that Jesus is a creator. And that when we deal with these spiritual beings, there is one guy way above them, and that's Jesus Christ. He could tackle this thing. And they can't tackle him. The deity of Jesus Christ, the creator, is established in John 1. We did that. And then again, Paul does the same thing in Romans 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. I took an online seminary class from... So Dr. Mark Bailey did a great seminary class that's online at the Dallas Theological Seminary on the Gospel of John. I recommend taking that. But his, his, the one thing you walk away from was don't split the Trinity in your creation theology. Don't split them. It's a triune God, the Godhead, right? They were all there. And Jesus was a participant in creation. I was involved in a weird exorcism some years ago where it was a woman who was involved in yoga. She was Catholic. She was involved in yoga because she got cancer and she went to Stanford Medical Center and they recommended, you know, do these um, mindfulness things, right? So go go take yoga, study yoga. And so she embraced it full force and went all the way back to India to study yoga under a yogi. And she got demonically possessed by a Kundalini when activated. So long story short, we're trying to work with this woman who was a longtime Christian about Jesus expelling the demon and a demon started messing with her thoughts saying, well, Jesus only been around 2000 years. You know, I've been around longer than that. And I've been in the Sanskrit has been in existence longer before Jesus. It was totally convoluting who Jesus was. So we get in a battle like this. You're just interested. You're like, no, you're not. Jesus was with God, right? In the beginning, Jesus was God and he, Jesus existed before you little stink because he created you guys. So don't sit here and give me this garbage, right? But, well, interesting part was the woman who was Catholic all these years bought into that lie that the incarnate Jesus was when Jesus came into existence. No, that's when the Jesus became incarnate on our physical realm. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the second Adam. He has no beginning, no ending. So keep this in mind when you're dealing with Jesus. The demons have a beginning and an ending, right? They do. Just as we have a beginning, right? So... So let's look at um, Paul, Romans 1, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, right? Jesus was present right there. Paul says it in Romans. Here in Colossians, verse 1, 15 through 20. I love this one. I use this quite a bit during exorcisms too to establish who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What is he? He's a creator, right? He was before all things. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that everything he might be preeminent. For in him, 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Right, some good stuff there. So he, who is he? He's the image of the invisible God, right? He became incarnate, came down to earth. First born of all creation. That's also a headship title right there. When you, you wrap your mind around verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn means he has a headship like the oldest son, right? Firstborn. I know Jehovah Witnesses have a hard time with that one too. See, right there, it said he was born. See, see, see. No, that's a, that's a title, a heavenly title. He is a firstborn. Remember um, John 3, 16, God's only begotten son, right? God only has one son, the son. The firstborn, firstborn of all creation. And for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. What is this stuff right here? Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. We're going to unpack that. There's some divine beings right there that, that are part of government that rule. There's both good and bad, right, that rule. And we'll take a look at this in a little bit and unpack out who the thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities are. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There it is right there. He, who's he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as a name he has inherited and is more excellent than theirs. So what's this telling us? God was the only true sacrifice for sins, right? It was Jesus Christ. And when he went back to heaven, having become as much superior to angels as a name he has inherited, what does that mean? He's not angelic. He's went back to his throne. He went right up to his throne and he sits above the angels. So when we're dealing with satanic angels during exorcisms or demons during deliverance, Jesus is the most high. I've seen in cases too, when I was trying to help people at New Age um, hauntings, they're, they're New Age believers. I told them to use the name of Jesus to drive out spirits out of their house because there's power in his name and they did it, you know? <laughs> Everything else, their little smudgings didn't work, their little, you know, whatever they, the little things they read and little Buddha stuff didn't work. It just, it was the power, the name of Jesus that drove it out. Okay, so let's look at the heavenly realms now, right? Divine spiritual beings. Who sits the most high? Yahweh, the God of Israel, right? We have a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Elion is uh, the Hebrew, if I'm butchering it right. So in Psalm 91, 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the most high, who is it? Elion will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. God, the Almighty, the most high is Elion in Hebrew. He is the highest up there. There's, you know, he is the creator. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit right there. God most high who sits on the throne. Father in heaven who sits on the throne, right? 
And we know Jesus sits at the right side. Angels, they're messengers. Melakim, Melek, a divine being. Elohim, right? We see Elohim a lot acting as a messenger. There's something we got to be careful of here too because it gets convoluted and confusing. We're going to go through it. Elohim is the Hebrew word for Yahweh, the God of Israel. We've seen it. And it also has lower connotations for lowercase gods, which we have to wrap our mind around. It also is used for divine beings, right? The, the spiritual creation, spiritual divine beings that Jesus created. Hebrew also calls those Elohim too. And angels, they'll call Elohim. So we have to be careful of the context when we see it. Uh, what Elohim are we talking about, right? Remember we saw um, the witch of Endor was the was Saul, right? And she saw Elohim's coming out of the ground, right? The spirits coming out of the ground. So we just have to be careful of context. What we're going to get here is a new redefinition is important that we're starting to realize now. I think we got sideways in the Western church about what the angels look like. We had choirs of angels. I mean, we had that for the longest time from Catholic church, which is okay, which is good. It was semi-accurate, but it wasn't totally accurate. Now we use the term angel. We're kind of referring to just a messenger, right? It's a divine being or that at that time who shows up in the Bible is a messenger. Like we'll see Jesus will come down as an angel of the Lord, right? He's, he's coming down with some message or something to deliver to somebody. Or we'll see just a, an angel like Gabriel was a messenger, right? At that time he set up as a messenger. So when we see him as messengers, it's Melakim or Melek, right? And other times it's Elohim. So let's look at this. Let's look at... Uh, we are here. First Kings nineteen seven, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, "Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you." The angel of the Lord is Jesus, but here he's referred to as a messenger, right? So this, let's get this in context. We have a different context we use in the Western Church. We need to de deprogram ourselves of and start looking at what this Second Temple Hebrews meant by this term. So let's look at Job 4.18. Even his servants, he puts no trust, and his angels, he charges with error. So again, it's Malek, right? It's, it's the same term there. So it's, it's interesting. Okay, so we're at lowercase gods, right? Divine beings, sons of God. Remember in Genesis 6, right? We had the, the sons of God, the, the evil ones came down and took themselves wives of men or daughters of men to mate with. And those are Elohims, right? Here we see it again. We see it in Deuteronomy 32.8 and the princes of Daniel, um, the prince of Persia, right? The princes of Daniel and Daniel 10. So lowercase gods is not indicative of polytheism. It just means the spiritual being that was created as lesser image of God. Remember back up in, was it Hebrews where Jesus was creating the, the perfect image of God. We have divine beings such as angels or spiritual beings such as mankind. We are a lesser image of God. When we're creating their image, we're a lesser image of them. We're not perfect. So signifies Yahweh's heavenly family he created, right? Usually it's just, it's what it is. God created us to be part of his family and part of his council. And we'll see more about this. So look at this one. So here's Job 38, 7. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God, Ben Elohim, 
right? Sons of God shouted for joy. The sons of God right there. So we'll see different versions of, of how Elohim's used. I'm going to take it in context if it's referring to Yahweh, the God of Israel, or it's referring to these divine spiritual beings. It gets confusing, but you, you start seeing in the context how it appears, it, it makes more sense. You just you have to dive in like, wow, there's a lot of good stuff out right now by Dr. Michael Heiser in the Unseen Realm. I highly recommend picking up that book because that's where I packed a lot of this stuff from too. It's not like, oh, it's a new revelation. We got a new enlightenment. This is not what this is. This stuff was always in our Bibles. We just never picked it up. We just never picked it up because it was a Western church interpretation of it, right? And at times we 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 interpreted out the supernatural. We got to be very careful of that. We got to be students of the supernatural if you're in spiritual warfare ministry. And we must be protective of what the truth is and not want to run off with the latest and greatest new ideas. But to be very careful to protect what's there and what the Bible says. So uh, there's some stuff I don't agree with, with Dr. Michael Heiser, and a lot of it's about the book of Enoch and demons. I don't agree with him there. Then again, I don't have a PhD, but it just doesn't resonate properly. But then again, his other stuff, he's an expert translator, and he has some good stuff to present. So, you know, let's take it with a grain of salt and let your spirit interpret it. Okay, I found this to be interesting too. Old Testament demons, regional spirits, Shadim. Evil divine spiritual beings. They were like Dagon and Malak. Now, these were divine spiritual beings we were talking about. It's not, it, this is going to be a head spinner. There's a, a difference between the demons in the New Testament and the demons in the Old Testament. When we look at the word demon in the Hebrew, we're looking at a divine spiritual being, an evil one, right? We still are in the New Testament, but when we see the New Testament, we're dealing with like a lower end Grent soldier that were cast down to the ground. And we'll unpack this more of this lesson tonight, what happened. So let's look at this. Deuteronomy 32, 17. They sacrificed to demons, Shadim, right? Not to God, Eloah. To gods, right? Elohim, they had never known. There it is right there, Deuteronomy 32, 17. <laughs> we had all those in there, that one sentence, right? They sacrificed to demons, not God. To gods they had never known. Wow. So... When they're sacrificed to the gods they don't know, when I unpack this too, this, these are regional spirits they're sacrificed gods to, like Moloch and Dagon. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was put in the tent with Dagon, and Dagon kept going face down, he kept being smacked down by, by the Ark of the Covenant. That's something right there, you know, that, that Dagon had to bow to the God Most High, even though it was an evil spirit. That should be a, a lesson there too, that every knee will bow, right? No matter how high up the food chain these dark things are, they all bow to Jesus. They all bow to God. They all bow to Yahweh. They have to because they were created by him, right? Yahweh is the master of them. Keep that in mind, spiritual warfare, when these things start talking trash to you. Who is Jesus? They're going to talk trash to Jesus because they don't want to bow down to him, but they have to. So New Testament demons, we call these low-level demons or unclean spirits, right? Jesus kept calling them unclean spirits. Come out. And why there's a difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament or why these versions of the demons appear. I think they were always around. There seemed to have been times where exorcisms were going on. In fact, I believe Psalm 91 was actually a Hebrew um, psalm for exorcism. If you start reading it, there's some good information on that. So they were exorcising spirits, but we don't really focus on them until the New Testament. I guess it was just to demonstrate the power God had over these little fallen grunt soldiers, right? They're thrown down to the earth. 
So again, they seem to differ from the Old Testament higher level demons, the Shadim, and they appear to be more low level than their Old Testament counterparts. Like I said, I'm, I'm throwing out the quotes there. They're possibly low level, low level Grunt soldiers, right? They're the, they're the privates, right? They're not the officers. They're not the these low level guys that were, you know, they don't get to hang out in the gated community of second heaven. They were cast down here by God. Some scholars try to connect New Testament demons to the book of Enoch as unclean spirits from deceased giants. I don't hold that. I don't believe that one. There is New Testament continuity between Enoch and 1 Peter and Jude, but nothing supporting demons are deceased spirits of the giants, right? Just because it was called out in the book of Enoch that the, the demons were actually unclean spirits from these, these hybrid satanic angels, human beings, right? That they said that the when they died, their spirits became demons. I'm not convinced of that. There's not a lot of material on that, except for the book of Enoch. And, you know, I'm not going to run with it here. And it doesn't matter anyway. Like I said, they're still low level, whatever they are. And low level demons are important because that's the ones we have authority over in deliverance ministry. And we'll talk about more about this here as we unpack this lesson. Okay, so let's go to... Ephesians 6, 12, because there's some cool things here about divine spiritual beings. So, Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Here we go. That sounds familiar to what we were reading earlier, right? And who are the rulers? The principalities, the arche, that's it. That's the Greek. Against the authorities, exousia. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, cosmocrator. Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, pneumaticos, right? So if we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're making a distinction here. These guys aren't on earth. And a lot of times people think second heavens and outer space, you know, third heavens in heaven. I beg to differ on that one too. And we'll find out why here in a moment. So we know that God created, from Ephesians 6.12, some sort of hierarchy, right? We also saw early on, too, I was in Colossians. Yeah, I think it was back in Colossians 1 we read earlier today about God sits over the rulers. Jesus sits over the rulers and the, the authorities, right? There's some sort of councils and some sort of government set up in heaven that, that God likes to rule from. He doesn't need these guys, but he set them up. Apparently, he likes community, right? There's interesting stuff here about God, about his nature we see. So we also see, too, that he has these divine councils set up. They're scattered throughout the Bible. And these, these got missed over in Sunday school, and they got missed over in a seminary, but they're there. And people, I think as we go into the end times church, whatever scales are over our eyes, we're starting to see more stuff about the Bible. And it's starting to, you know, reveal itself, some of its secrets that are there. They're not, like, great secrets. It's like somehow they were just, they're always there in front of us, but we never read them. Like something demonic was covering it up or something. I don't know. Or maybe God didn't want us to understand it yet. Who knows? But the second temple Hebrews understood it. And somehow we went to this sideline here. So God has chosen to set up heaven to rule with counsel. We know from Psalm 82.1, this was discovered by Dr. Michael Heiser. It wasn't discovered. You know, he just, he's the one that's been pointing this thing out. It was kind of an aha moment for him. And verse, Psalm 82 verse one reads, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of gods he holds judgment 
Now in English, we have capital God and we have lowercase God. So we have God, capital Elohim, has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of God's Elohims. He holds judgment. So obviously God has a council, but these high-level divine spiritual beings who co-rule with him. And that's kind of interesting because people are going, well, why does God do that? I think it's just he enjoys having community. He knows everything. He knows what's going on. But he allows these things to participate with him. These divine spiritual beings participate with him in decision making. You know, it's, it's very interesting. Very interesting stuff how God operates. Kind of tears apart Calvinism here, doesn't it? Right? That God knows everything, but he'll allow decision making be done. God has chosen to set up heaven to rule with counsel, right? This is also in 1 Kings 22, 18 through 23. This is an interesting story here. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. What's that? That's a counsel. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab? that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead. And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. What was that about? Right? So God has a council set up. He knows what he's going to do. Or he's God, right? He's omnipotent. He's all-knowing, everything. But he set up these divine spiritual beings that co-rule with him, and they're allowed to participate in some things. Kind of interesting, right? Well, doesn't that mess up what God's plan is for, you know, election and all this other stuff and and predestiny and yeah God's ability to understand he has a foreknowledge of what happens and he has the ability to change things which is pretty powerful and interesting right and it takes him out of the mode of just being some sort of control puppet that no the timeline must follow as it has to he's allowing us to make decisions and make changes right remember um Abraham talking to the God, you know, the God's on foot there, right? We have an incarnate God walking with him. He's asking, well, my brother Lot lives in Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't wipe it out. You know, don't wipe out everybody. There's got to be one righteous man. And they were having this conversation and changing God's mind. He does that because he's in community. He's in relationship with us, right? If he's a loving God and he's in relationship, we can't be slaves. We have to have free will. We have to be able to make decisions. And this is something something else to grasp as you work with Jesus Christ and who he is as you go into a deeper interior prayer life with him. He's the God of all creation, the creator of all things. In him, all things were created. But he also likes to co-participate in our lives and let us make decisions and free will. You know, it's, it's, it's very powerful. It's a very powerful thing to wrap your mind around. But that is how an omnipotent God works. People in geography divvied after Babel. What's going on here? Yahweh divides mankind at the Tower of Babel incident. This is also an interesting thing that um, Michael Heiser highlights. I think it's kind of interesting. So we're in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. 
And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they did, had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You know, in spite of ourselves, let's build the tower, guys. Verse 5. And the Lord came down to see what the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is the only beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there and confuse their language, so they may not be understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off the building of the city. Therefore it was named Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So look at verse 7. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so they may not understand one another. Who's let us go down? All right. Something interesting is going on here. And, you know, it's, it's, we have the triune God, but it's not just them. What, what's going on here? Come, let us go down. So Yahweh divide the people, his portion, and the under-regional divine spiritual beings, right? So Israel was his portion. Israel wasn't in existence yet, right? But something interesting is going on here with Abraham and all those guys. We're setting up a story here. So Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9, describes how Yahweh's dispersal of the nations at Babel resulted in his disinheriting those nations as his people. What? Did you ever catch this one? This is crazy. So Deuteronomy 32, 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God and according to the Lord's portion of his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. What is going on there? So God divided the people. He fixed the borders of the people, right? This is after Babel. You find this in Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9, according to the number of the sons of God. What? What? We have regional spirits being set up here, right? But the Lord's portion of his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. Who was Jacob? Jacob was Israel, right? We're setting this thing up. Here we go. So God has his people, and he has the people that were against him, didn't want to accept him. So we're talking about regional spirits here. That's what we see. It's initially set up that the world was divvied under you know, divine spirits. You know, to, to release people. Remember, we were supposed to set up the co rule, but we totally blew it. We blew it several times. Mankind blew it. And so now it seems like a punishment that we're put under regional spirits. We don't get to get the great divine God like Jacob's people, Israel got. We got these horrific, you know, <laughs> angels who, I don't know, many more wicked. That was part of a punishment, right? We were sent to exile again. So where do we see these wicked guys show up again? We can see it in uh, Daniel 10, verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. Whoa, whoa. Who's that? The prince of the kingdom of Persia 
that's a that's a principality, right? A, a ruler. It's a ruler spirit. We saw back in Ephesians, right, six twelve. Interesting. So where how did he get Persia? It was divvied after Babel. That's how this guy got this. That's how this the spiritual being got this. Second heaven, the realm of darkness. So we hear this a lot too, like the angels go to second heaven. We go sharpen our irons in second heaven. If you're familiar with my podcast, I, I just beat up on sharpening irons in second heaven. Now we're going to find out why, right? Second heaven is where the evil, divine, spiritual beings were cast out to. They're not in heaven anymore because they're, they're cast out. So this is where Satan hangs. This is Satan's, um, uh, you know, development, home development, right? Gated community, so to speak, uh, where these evil satanic divine beings hang out and so second heaven is a perceived spiritual realm where the divine beings of forces of darkness called out in ephesians 6 12 reside there's no biblical evidence that the satanic angel set up in the second heaven we know from ephesians 6 12 that the forces of darkness and dark heavenly realms right it's all tying to is gave the name second heaven doesn't really appear in scripture except in um Ephesians 6.12, and that's the dark heavenly realm, right? So it's not, we'll go, we'll, we'll look at two, why it's here. So let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, when Paul talks himself in the third person as being going up into heaven. So verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, who, Paul himself, was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into the paradise whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Second Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4. We're talking about Paul. He's talking about himself in the third person. He was shot up to the third heaven where he saw that. That's where God's throne is, right? So if God's throne is the highest heaven, it's in third heaven. We use the terminology to second heaven for a lesser heaven that the dark angels went to. That's usually associated with a very dark place, the second heaven. That's where the satanic angels go. And like I said, that's where a lot of the charismatics go. Go sharpen your iron in the second heaven. No, 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 no. We're lesser than angels. You don't go there. You'll get smacked hard. So anyway, I have a cool quote from Derek Prince, who kind of tried to tackle the same subject. If there is a third heaven where the God most high resides, then by logic, there must be a second heaven. Right? That's the wisdom of Derek Prince, and I agree with that. So there, there is something out there. We know that from Ephesians 6.12. It's not the third heaven where these guys are at. They, they set up shop somewhere else in a spiritual realm. A lesser heaven. So concluding remarks. In John's gospel, John connects the dots between Genesis 1 and John, the gospel, right? In the beginning, Genesis 1, to in the beginning with the book, the gospel of John, right? In the beginning was the word, right? So when the beginning happened, whatever it happened, you know, whatever creation of our physical realm happened, God was already in existence. Jesus was already in existence. Jesus was not created by God. Jesus is a creator. He's part of the triune, right? The Godhead. We have Yahweh, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Father God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ was the creator of everything. Jesus just didn't show up on the roadmap 2,000 years ago. That's that's not true. He became incarnate over 2,000 years ago and kicked the timeline for the end times church in. That's what he did. 
He showed up here over 2,000 years ago in the flesh. So that's what we must keep in mind. It's not like, oh, Jesus suddenly appeared 1,000 years ago because God just like, oh, put him in Mary's belly and that's what he was and suddenly he's here and he's gone and he's back in heaven. No, he, he was, is, and always is, will be, right? So God created divine beings and spiritual beings who are spiritual beings. We are. We are spiritual beings in flesh to have a family and co-rule with, right? That's why God created us. He doesn't need us. God seems to be have like this community thing. He likes to have family. You know, if you look at um, the book of John also, we are called sons and daughters, right? Yeah, I think it's sons and daughters of God. I think it's in the, the first chapter of John, possibly verse 16. I'm not sure. I can't remember off the top of my head. And we are called sons and daughters, right? To God. Because we're part of his family. We're part of his creation. We are meant to be pulled into him and to love him. He's a God of love. So God is omnipotent, all-powerful, almighty. He's all-loving. And all his spiritual creations are lesser, imperfect images of him. Go back to Colossians where it said it was God was cast, or Jesus was cast in the perfect image of God, right? He came down to earth. You know, so that's what we had. We had the perfect image of God on earth. We, those who saw Jesus saw the Father in heaven, right? So that's the only perfect image of him. That's because it was him. <laughs> it's because it was God. It wasn't a cast image. It was perfect of him. It's who, it's who our creator is. It is him. So ministers who are brought into battle deeply understand these basic spiritual beliefs to the point they're infused in their spiritual DNA. What are we talking about? Back to St. Teresa of Avila, right? Back to interior prayer life. You are in union with God, and this is inseparable from you. You have an indwelling Jesus Christ inside you, indwelling Holy Spirit, and they're inseparable. The triune God's inseparable inside you, and you understand this stuff. So when a demon pops up, goes blah, 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 you sit oh my gosh, bunch of liars. You guys actually believe that garbage? You know, it just, it just, it just hits like a reflex. And that's where you have to be if you're going to be in spiritual warfare. If you knew this stuff, like, I want to go into spiritual warfare and learn this stuff. It comes as a side dish, spiritual warfare. I'll put it that way. Your relationship with Jesus comes first, who you are with Jesus. Because you won't always be in that ministry. You'll... You'll spend more time working with people. People are hurt, stuff like that, and different things going on. And you have to understand who God is. You're going to be working with people who have dissociative identity disorder, who are angry at God, and you have to be the model of God before them, model of Jesus before them, to help walk them out of stuff. And it has to radiate through you. Remember how Jesus radiated the glory of God? We, as images of Jesus, must radiate the glory of Jesus to these people we're working with. And therefore, you must be in union with God. If you don't understand what that is, jump in and start working on your prayer life. Start building a deep prayer life. It takes time. It's a relationship you have to develop with Jesus. And it, you know, I keep beating up on this. You know, those people always go, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. You know, but they can't hear God. You know, if you ask God a question, they can't hear him. I've been in situations where I have had very, very dark, infested houses, demonic, and I can hear God. Because of my relationship with him, I can hear God over the demonic. And that's where you have to be. And that's where you, that's, if you're going to have any goal in life is to hear Jesus clearly and to understand what it is, have a relationship with him and that he's inseparable with you. And the way you fear God is that you be separated from God. And once you understand that you're on the right path and when you're strong enough or in the right places, he'll send you to battles, right? I don't go looking for battles. They, they come my way. And there's times I don't do battle and there's, there's times I'm just working on myself. And the most important thing is to understand who Jesus Christ is 
and a lot of reading about him, a lot of reading about deep prayer life. Your bookshelf should be full of stuff on deepening prayer life more so than spiritual warfare. You don't need books on spiritual warfare. You know, if you have one, I have one or two guides. I threw mine all out. I had tons and tons of stuff. And at the end I go, this stuff's taking up my bookshelves. I threw it all away. But I still have tons of books on prayer life and tools for deepening prayer. That's what's important. That's what belongs to yours. That's what a spiritual war, warrior's bookshelf should look like. Be full with books of prayer. And anyhow, this was my test material on you guys. It's teaching who the deity of Jesus Christ is and the divine spiritual beings. I know I got more to hash out. Or if you have questions, feel free to post them on a Field Guide Spiritual Warfare Facebook page. I'll, I post there a lot. And also a Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare.blogspot.com. And just post your questions there. And you guys are amazing. And if you like this show, pass it on and like I said, we're, we're developing coursework here at a request. I usually don't, but it's, it's gotten to the point now that some people want me to go out and start teaching stuff. I want to leave material in people's hands. You guys have been awesome. You've been great. And thank you so much for letting me try us out, you guys. I know I, I consider you guys more than guinea pigs, but I know who you guys are. You guys listen. You send me um, comments and stuff, and I so appreciate it. That's why I'm sharing this stuff with you. And help me iron out these courses and let me know what you think of this one. This is like module one about who Jesus is and who his divine spiritual beings are and what heaven looks like. So God bless you guys. Till we see you again, amen.